Let me get this right. This is Addison and Wayne, right? Did I get it right, Mom? Oh, yes. And they said that chemo would destroy my brain cells. They're so wrong. Have a seat, guys. Have a seat on the ground there. Welcome. Welcome. So, I have a story for you again today. And you're going to begin to see it up there. It's, it's about Marsha the muskox. Have you ever seen a muskox? You've seen an ox? Okay. Well, now you've seen one. All right. Here we go. Normally one doesn't think of a muskox as being cute. But as you can see, Marsha, she's kind of a cute little muskox, isn't she? She's kind of cute, isn't she, Wayne? Marsha is a baby muskox. But she's a big part of a bigger family. And the leader of this muskox family, his name is Marty. Marty. There's Marty. Marty is big and strong. In fact, he's been growing every year so much so that he became the leader of the muskox herd. Because not only is he big and strong, but he's pretty disciplined. All right? Muskox are very big animals. And they don't have very many enemies, but you know what? They do have one. And that enemy is an arctic fox. That's one of them. Kind of scary looking, huh? Yeah. Can you see? Oh, you can see it back there. I thought, how come you're not turning around there? Okay. So we're going to just call the arctic fox Arthur. Arthur. Arthur the arctic fox. Say that five times. Oh, there you go. Well, he basically is a really sneaky wolf. And he loves to check out to see if possibly there happens to be some fresh muskox meat for his dinner. You know, he loves muskox. And so he would spend his days looking around the herd, just waiting for the opportune time to eat one of them. Well... Muskox have a really cool habit. And this is true. A lot of this story is made up. But this is true. Muskox. Yeah, look at that. That scary wolf. He's looking at those muskox. But you know what happens? When muskox figure out that they have an enemy approaching, all the big muskox circle around all the babies. And they put them all in the middle. And they make sure that the enemy cannot get to the baby muskox. Or let's just say the Arctic wolves couldn't get to the little ones. You see, innocent little muskox are tastier than big old fat muskox. And so they have to work really hard to get to them. But you can see those big old muskox, they're going to keep those babies safe. Now, Marty, you know, he was the head muskox. He was so good at being the head muskox that he regularly called for meetings. And in those meetings, he would have them practice circling. You know, you've got to practice that thing. It's not a skill that just comes to you. 
They had to have practice circle meetings. And so he did this because he was the head of the muskox. That was his job. And so one day, on this particular day, Marty sent out a memo to every one of the muskox. And he said, today we need to have circling practice at 4.32 p.m. sharp. Well, now Marvin, Marvin, he was having a bad day. And he really didn't want to go to circling practice at 4.32 p.m. sharp. And he started to complain. Marvin said that he was kind of tired of muskox circling. In fact, he didn't like standing in the circle in the middle of Monty and Michael, the bigger, older muskox. In fact, he said, you know, I don't, I don't really feel like doing this today. In fact, Monty stinks. And, you know, I, I can hardly stand to be near Monty. It's a good thing the Monty in our church is not Monty the muskox. So, as you can tell, and you can see it on his face, Monty the muskox was slightly offended. And he huffed back at Marvin. He just thought he stunk. He thought he needed a bath. And he looked at Marvin and he said, well, Marvin, you're no bed of roses either. In fact, I think Michael, we ought to bring Michael in on this whole discussion. And all of a sudden, Marvin and Michael and Monty were having this fight. And and they they said, you know what, we were talking about it the other day. And besides, we think your hooves need a good grinding. And and everybody has to look at them, and I kind of get nauseated when I see your hooves. Well, you know what happened? They started fighting amongst themselves, Wayne. Yes, I hate that when that happens. They didn't even remember. They didn't even remember why they were fighting. Yeah, that's bad, isn't it? Yeah, yes. They were just all angry, and and. They wanted their own muskox way. Before they even knew it, they even forgot who the real enemy was. The Arctic wolf. And sure enough, sure enough, the wolf saw that they were in this huge fight amongst themselves. And he felt that maybe this was a great time to take advantage of it. Now, Marcia... The little muskox, she didn't really care about all that fighting. And she really more just kind of wanted to go off on her own and, and look at the surrounding things around her. And she saw these really cute flowers. And, and she decided to take a little sniff just to see what they were like. But she didn't. I know. I know that's the whole story. She what, Wayne, next time you're telling it, I'm telling you, you're right, Wayne. That was terrible. Oh, absolutely. Oh, wait, you're going to love the next slide. Yeah, yeah. So she was just sniffing around, and that Arctic fox said, those people over there, they're fighting. I see some innocent little muskox over here, and I think I'm going to go get her. And just about the time the muskox was going to swipe up Marcia and take her away, Just in the nick of time, Marty, the older, wiser, in charge. Yes, Marty came and just 
smack the Arctic fox or the Arctic wolf, whatever I'm calling him right now in this sentence. Yeah, yeah. You see, kids, Marty understood who the real enemy was. It wasn't his fellow muskox. It was the Arctic wolf. And he wasn't about to let that enemy get a hold of one of the innocents from the herd. So once the herd saw what happened, they realized that their fighting put that innocent little Marcia at risk. And so Marvin looked at Monty and Monty looked at Michael and he said, I'm really sorry. I was making a big deal out of things that really shouldn't have been a big deal. And Monty said he understood and he asked for forgiveness too and he promised to take a bath sometime within the next month as soon as he found a good lake. So, you know, guys, I said this was a made-up story. But this actually represents a story that's in the Bible. And I know another one. First Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone. I know. Looking for someone to de- devour. And you see those two people are fighting. They shouldn't be fighting each other. They should be praying with each other and loving each other and realizing that the enemy can get in when we take our eyes off of who the real enemy is. So kids, when you're having a bad day at school or at home or you don't want to obey your parents or you're just a little ticked at your siblings, that would be your brothers and sisters. Be careful that you don't start fighting in your relationships with them and the enemy, the devil, can come in and really hurt your relationships. All right? Wayne, I'm loving this interaction up here. Yeah, exactly. I'd kick my boots in there too. So, one of the things you get to do now is you get to go take a bag that has some treats in it and some crayons and fun stuff for you guys while we finish up church. Amen. We could probably go home, but we do have some other things scheduled. Also... Uh, little Wayne's gonna have us, uh, he's gonna have us Pentecostal pretty soon if we don't watch out. Good job. Good job, young man. Alright, make sure the kids get one of these bags. If you're, if you're new or newer, um, we understand that having kids in here, everybody should nod along with me, means that, that there's gonna be some noise here and there, uh, and some fidgeting, it's kind of unavoidable, and that's a good thing, that's signs of life. So if you're a parent and that makes you nervous like it does to me, um, we've given you permission and your kids to be a little, a little noisy and so forth, because we've said you can stay in here today, or you have to, so it's okay, please don't worry about that. So we have a special speaker today, um, uh, Brother Carlos Gordon, who is, uh, I'm going to introduce him just a minute and then have him come up here. So he is from Jamaica, but from Africa, I guess you should say he is from Kenya and South Africa and Cote d'Ivoire via Jamaica. His mom lives in New York City. 
Um, so he's kind of from all over the place. I first met Carlos when he was a teenager, uh, and I helped lead a group of uh, teens from the southern region, from the SNU region, uh, to their their NYC uh, Caribbean Youth Congress there, took a group of teen leaders, and we went down and suffered for Jesus in uh, in Jamaica, and uh, had a lot of fun, and um, actually it was a pretty rough place that we stayed at, but uh, uh, but it was a lot of fun, and, and Carlos was a teenager at the time, had a great trip there, and then, you know, didn't really connect in any way, and probably 10 years later or so, uh, as Lauren and I are responding to uh, to the call to go to serve at, at ANU in Kenya. Um, Carlos also, Daisy, you need to go back to your seat, um, responds to the call to serve uh, in the area as well. And and then we end up soon our neighbors uh, in, in Kenya. So Carlos lived across the, the pathway from us and became very good friends with Daisy. Daisy loved Carlos. Our cat, Ozzy, also loved Carlos's house and would go over there to get chicken or steal food from his trash can as well. But uh, things that I'd want you to know about Carlos before he comes and speaks. So uh, Carlos is not a pastor. Um, Carlos has a degree in... Uh, experimental biology, right, from the University of the West Indies, and also an MBA in international business. Um, so I don't know all the details, but I know that when, when Lauren and I left California to go, and of course the economy is different, but when we left California to go to serve at Kenya and to serve at Global Missions, I took a 75% pay cut to do that. Um, but as a pastor, kind of at the peak of earning abilities, but as a non-pastor, especially in an internet business, finance type career, Carlos could be making a lot more money than the pennies that he's making right now. Um, you add to that, just uh, this whole week he's been at our house. He's been having to run international meetings constantly from our kitchen table because unlike the pastors who go on uh, furlough or, or deputation, he has to still work the whole time. Um, and so he's been leading meetings constantly with people all over the world uh, trying to handle all of the finances for the entire Africa region, which is a chore to say the least. I am very thankful that Carlos is in the position he's in. As far as I'm concerned, it's a kind of an impossible job. And I don't know how he does it, um, but he does, and with a lot more grace than I could do it, uh, for sure. Um, the other thing, I did share this once, but I just want you to know, to be honest, as he comes and shares, being from Jamaica, Carlos is from a place that historically has been viewed as, as a mission field uh, in the Church of the Nazarene, and so we would send missionaries there. Uh, people like Carlos now are the future of missions in the Church of the Nazarene, people who are responding to the call from places that we used to think were mission fields, saying, I can go and serve. One of the and also we like in Kenya we don't really need pastors to go we do need some training there we need people to go and handle the infrastructure in Africa so that the African pastors can lead the African church Carlos does a great job of coming in and helping to allow that to take place but being from a place like Jamaica I know when he assumed his role and, and moved um, he was able to to my understanding fundraise all of nothing. Uh, to go. And so whereas all of us fundraise lots of money to then have to go buy a car and all the things that you need to set up, Carlos still doesn't have a car. 
and wasn't able to do any of those things. Um, and now in his first deputation assignment, did some speaking in Jamaica, but also was speaking in the United States. And a lot of his speaking there was just to try to educate people in the church about what deputations is, period. What missions is, why you would go somewhere else. Um, we believe in him so much that last year when Lauren and I traveled around the U.S. speaking, um, we didn't travel too extensively. We split half of what we earned with Carlos to help give him some money uh, because we believe that um, you know he wasn't having a, a fair shot at, at, at fundraising. So I believe in this guy. He's a, he's a great individual. He's also just a really good friend. Uh, and I'm so excited that you all are willing to host him and have him here. Uh, so with all of that, I'm going to call Carlos up. He's going to share with us, and then afterwards, um, we'll, we'll ha- we have some other things planned in the service as well, cramming lots of things in today for fun. Yeah, go for it. Good morning, brethren. How are you? Good. After the Marsha story, I don't think I have much to say to you. It was such a good story, well captivating. I will do my best to speak as slowly as I can uh, so that the accent doesn't prevent you from hearing what God has for you today. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we want to thank you for being King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We want to thank you for this wonderful opportunity that you have given to us, Father, to gather in your presence. And as we touch things concerning you, Father, we know that you are already in the midst of us. We ask that, as I speak, Father God, that you allow your Holy Spirit to speak through me, Father God, and that your people here, Father, will hear your word and will respond according to your will and to your way. Father, we give you all the praise and honor that's due to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I know Brother Rusty just gave a wonderful introduction, and sometimes when I'm being introduced, I hear some things, and I go, hmm, it sounds pretty when everything is put together. But I want you to know a few things about me uh, before I get into what God has laid on my heart this morning. The first thing is that I don't want to be here. (laughs) And it's not that I don't want to be at this church and see you lovely people. I did not want to be in this position. As Brother Rusty shared, I am not a preacher. I am not a teacher. The word and the interaction that I've had with the word is through going to Sunday school, going to Bible studies, going to the Sunday afternoon services at my local church in St. John's Green Acres in Spanish Town. And so that has been my connection with God. And I know that there are several persons who are called in different ways. And if you're so called, God bless you. But I was not called in that regard. And so, I would like for you to turn with me quickly to, where have I lost my scripture? And it's a simple verse. It's in the book of Exodus, chapter 4, verse 2. And the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, 
a rod. And I remember during my time back home, we would have a prayer and fasting group. And we would always meet together and study the word of God. Just a group of young people, about five or six of us. And I remember we were reading the book of Exodus. And when we moved on from the book of Exodus, the Lord brought me back to it. And there's several key scriptures that he brought to my attention. This being one of it. And it says here, what is, he said to him, what is in thine hand? And Moses answered, a rod. And when I look at it, I say that rod is pretty insignificant. It, it's just a stick. And so it really has no real purpose, I guess. You know, he could use it when he is, you know, watching the sheep or, you know, helping to prop himself up as he got older or he was tired of walking for so long. But the rod itself was insignificant. I look back at several things in my life that I consider significant. And I remember how I placed them in my alabaster box. And I'm sure you know the the story of alabaster and the woman with the fine perfume. And I remember all those things that I placed in my alabaster box and how I valued them. There are things there that I was so thankful to God for because he was the one who gave them to me. I remember my prayer and fasting group, the same group of young people we're talking about. At the beginning of uh, one of those years uh, ago, we went through a time of prayer and fasting. And I put together a list of things that I was praying to God for. And I said, God, these are the things I'm hoping that you will do in my life. These are the things that I hope you will bless me with in my life. And as I stand here today, I can tell you that the Lord granted everything that I wanted on that list. Everything that I wanted. And so when I say that I understand the power of prayer, and when persons tell me that, oh, we are praying for you, it's something that touches me because I know that prayer moves the heart and mind of God. Because I've seen it. I've lived it. And so now, I don't just say to someone, I am praying for you, if I know I'm not going to be praying for you. Because I know the power of prayer. And so, after we've gone through that prayer and fasting, and he granted everything that was on my list, except one thing. I had, on the very bottom of my list, I said, Lord, as you're granting all of these things, I want you to use me in a way that only you can use me. And as I look back, I go, why did I put that on that list? Because if I didn't, probably I would not have been here today. My life would have been so much easier. But for some reason in that moment, it was placed on the list. And I'll I'll tell you a few things that were on the list. I had the job that I wanted. I had the vehicle that I wanted. I had everything You know, he gave me the desires of my heart, as the Bible says. And I was happy. And I remember when this opportunity came up to serve. And we were driving home one day, my younger sister and I. And before then, we had a very old vehicle. We refer to it as a dry weather vehicle. Because when it rained, 
the water came in from the roof, and if the roads were flooded, the water came in from the bottom. And I said to her that one day the Lord is going to bless us in such a way that when it's raining, we're going to be dry on the inside, and everything will be okay. And I remember one evening we were driving home and it was raining, and I had to stop. I pulled off the road. And I just started weeping. And she said, what happened? What happened to you? Why are you crying? And I said to her, you don't remember. You don't remember when I said to you that the Lord is going to provide for us. And he has. He has provided in ways that we could not imagine. We were dry when it was raining. And during that time when we were going through that difficulty, we could not imagine that there would be a day when we would be dry in our vehicle. But I say this to say that when he had granted everything on that list and I got that call to say, we need you to serve in Africa. My sister turned to me and I said to her, I don't think I can do this. I mean, everything is going right in my life now. Everything that was in my precious alabaster box, everything was going right and she looked at me and she said, you know, you've always said to me that the Lord has a funny sense of humor. And I looked at her and I said, why would you say something like that? She said, you prayed for all of these things and he granted them. He blessed you with them. But never did you say how long you wanted them for. <laughs> you didn't say that. I remember I was praying with you. You never told him for how long you wanted these things in your life. So he has held up his end of the deal. And now he's asking you to give up all of that and to serve him. What are you going to do? And I went, ah. And at that point in time, I knew it was not just my younger sister speaking to me, but that the Holy Spirit was speaking through her to say, this is what I need you to do. And so, there are things that we have in our alabaster box. Your, yours might not be the same as mine. And God is asking us to pour that out for him. Do you think I am worthy enough for those things that you ha are holding on to so dearly in your life? Are you willing to give that up for me? That was a question I wrestled with. I go back to the scripture earlier. What do you have in your hand? This was the next stage of my confusion. I said, Lord, I did not go to a seminary. I did not go to a Bible school. I did not go to any of these places that traditionally persons who are called to, to be missionaries would have gone through. I did not go through any of that. I have nothing to offer. And he said, Come. And I wrestled with him over and over. I have none of these things. I mean, I would sing in the choir, but to the back and sing so low that you couldn't hear me. I would help with cleaning the church. I would help wherever I could. But I did not think I had anything to offer to the ministry in that regard. And I remember he brought back to my memory that an experience I had. And before I say the experience, there are certain positions in the church that persons 
run towards. The preacher, the worship team leader, some position of influence in the church. And he brought me back to an experience I had when I visited one church. And the only reason I stayed at that church was because the person who was the usher, who was the greeter, gave me such a warm welcome. The smile that the individual gave me and the embrace, I felt welcomed. I felt loved. And sometimes we look at that and we're like, no, we just need someone to stand at the door. It's a ministry. You are the first point of contact with a new person trying to encounter God. Do you understand how phenomenal of a responsibility that is? To be the one to usher someone in to the house of God. You are the first one saying, can I introduce you to my God? Phenomenal responsibility. And he brought back to my memory that that is a significant thing. It seems insignificant, but it's quite significant in the presence of God in, in his eyes. And so I go back to him and I said, I don't have any of these qualifications. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a public speaker. I don't have anything that of value that I can give to the kingdom. And in going through the scripture, I go back and I look at what my brother Moses said to the Lord. It's just a rod. It's just a rod. What are you asking? You're the God of all things. You're asking me about a rod. But there's a beauty when God comes into an insignificant situation. With that seemingly insignificant rod, the Lord was able to turn the waters of Egypt into blood. He brought frogs upon the land lice upon the land, thunder throughout the land. With that simple rod, he was able to do so much. And so my question to you now is, what do you have in your hand that is so insignificant? I'll share another personal experience with you. And could you share that picture? So, I want to bring your attention to that little ugly flower pot that's there that flower pot is in front of uh, the house that I stay in in Nairobi and I walk past that quite frequently ignoring it and I remember uh, because of my role I do a lot of traveling and one morning I came in early and I saw that there were some dead flowers in that pot didn't plant any flowers in it, but there were just a different variety of dead and drying flowers in that pot. And the Lord drew it to my attention, and I just brushed it off. Went inside, went to bed, got up later that day, and when I opened the door, there was a fresh flower in that pot again. And I go, this doesn't make any sense. Only to find out later that day that when I wasn't there my little friend Daisy would pick flowers and put in that little pot that insignificant pot became significant for me
because in my absence, someone remembered me. There are persons here today, you're in some desolate situations like that. You seem to have been brushed over. No one seems to remember you. It seems as if nothing's really going your way. It seems as if God is not hearing you. But God remembers you. God remembers you. There are insignificant situations that exist around us. But once God steps in, it becomes significant. We serve a God who, at the darkest of times, he will show up. He will show up in ways that we cannot imagine. He can open doors that are closed in our lives or that we think we no longer serve a purpose. And I know I've spoken to persons who have said, you know, I've heard what you've said, but the Lord can't use me. I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too this or I'm too that. And I'm here to say to you that wherever you are in your life, the Lord can use you once you make yourselves available to him. The question again, what is in your hand? You might not be able to get up on a plane and go all the way to Africa to serve. But you can pray for the folks who are being called. You can pray for your leaders in the church that God continues to inspire them and to lead them in the way that he wants his people to be led. And that is not a small task. That is not a small task. It's not insignificant. And so we might believe that we have nothing left to offer or nothing much to offer. But we serve a God who specializes in the nothing. We we serve a God who specializes in the things that people toss aside. He knows how to remodel. He knows how to flip that situation to make purpose out of it. And so you might be struggling with what is it that you want me to do in your kingdom, Lord? What can I do? I have nothing else to offer you. Continue to seek after him. Continue to seek after him. And if it means to just come and serve in whatever capacity. And I love to hear what Brother Monty is doing. I, I, I really do. Because sometimes when we hear about missionaries, we put them on a pedestal. And I'm just trying to say to you, I am just a regular guy from a little rock in the middle of the Caribbean Sea. Nothing significant, no spiritual training in that regard, nothing to offer. But I've availed myself for God to use me. And so wherever you are, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, avail yourself. If it's to lift suitcases, you'd be surprised how many persons would be blessed by the lifting of the suitcases. If it's to stand at the door and to greet someone with a smile. And that's your gifting, your gift of hospitality. It's not easy. Because some persons, we have a difficulty. If you saw my face at the door, you'd probably turn away. But there's some persons, the minute they're at the door, you feel welcomed. That's your gifting. Whatever it is that you have in your hand, use it for God's glory. We think about, and forgive my silly, silly notions, as I heard Brother Rusty speaking about the alabaster and the offerings that are given for alabaster. 
I always, and I've said this many times in my local church back home, that I want to meet the people who gave to Alabaster and the missionaries who came to my island so that I had a five-minute walk from my house to where the Church of the Nazarene is. I want to meet those people to tell them thank you. Because without them, I would not have met the Lord. And they might have been in churches scattered right across the U.S. And they gave a dollar or 25 cents that eventually made its way to my island to buy a small plot of land to put a church there. Because 35 years ago, the Lord saw it fit to say, my son Carlos will be there and I need him to know of me. The same thing of our people here today. You will meet people when we get to heaven who you've never met in this lifetime. Never. Probably will never meet in this lifetime. But when we get there, the Lord will introduce you to say, you are the one who prayed for this one. You are the one who gave so that a church could have been built. A school could have been built. It first missionary from my island and so it it rests upon me that it's not easy it's not easy this task that I have been given but I remember when I was being deployed and or NMI president she's now old she can barely see she came to a gathering that we had and they brought her up and she took my hands an old woman trembling and she said I have prayed for you for 30 years I have prayed for you even before you were born I have been praying for you and I ask God to allow me to see the first missionary being sent from my island there are persons who are praying for this church and I know you are praying for as well because I see even some of my friends the Shagwalis that are your Lynx family. I see them on your list and I'll bring your greetings to them. And I know it's going to warm their hearts to know that even though they might not have never met you, that there is a church family, there is a community of people who are praying for their strength, praying for their work, praying that God continues to move in their lives. And so on behalf of those missionaries and for those persons who have not come and those who will be influenced through your acts here, right across the world, I want to say thank you. I know it's not easy being obedient. And being obedient for me is, (laughs) it's a chore. It's a chore. And I struggle with it every day. I talk to the Lord about it every day. I continuously look at my suitcase and passport and I go, my God, I could be at home. I am here in the cold in Colorado and and I'm used to a nice, warm, sunny beach. But I'm here. But I'm going to be obedient to you. Because I remember he said to me that during one of my devotion times, you know, it is better for me to be a servant than to be a king in this world. It's better for me to be the Lord's servant 
than to be a king in this world. And so as you go through and you think through all the things and all the activities and everything that touches you, think about what you have in your hand. And even at whatever age that you might be, how it can be glorified, bring glorification to God. It might be a four-year-old who put a flower in an old flower pot. Or it it might be an old woman who prayed for 30 years to see God's mission fulfilled in a small country. The Lord is still calling people here in the U.S., there on the continent of Africa. But he's also using his people who are called now to do his work. And so I encourage you to continuously be obedient to his call, even if it is just to whisper a prayer. I will leave my prayer cards with you. And I have prayer cards and notes and stuff. And if you go to my house in Nairobi right now and you open my closet, the door is filled with notes from people. And I need this personally because my suitcase is always ready, packed ready to go back to Jamaica. But when I open, when I open the door, when I get dressed each morning and I see the notes, I read them. And I am reminded that there are persons out there who believe that God has a purpose for my life and who are praying for me and who continuously hold me up in their prayers. And so it gives me a little boost each day to keep going just a little bit further and put the suitcase back in the closet. And so as I leave the cards with you today, I want you to, if you feel led, to continuously pray for me because it's not an easy task. And I know some of you have experienced it. I know the family, it, my family personally, and my friends, they thought I was crazy when I accepted the call to missions because, you know, you're in a job that you like, you have your friends, everything is going well for you. Some of them even thought I was smoking marijuana and gone crazy because it was just not logical. But in that state, there is a peace that the Lord gives. When you're leaving to somewhere where you don't know anyone there, where you don't have any friends there, your family has no connections there, and the Lord brings this peace over you, knowing that it's going to be okay. And I understand, as I go around in the churches, and I meet some of our folks, and they grab my hand, and they say, oh, you're the one we've been praying for. I'm so happy you're here. We've been praying for you. You understand where that peace comes from. You understand that you have people who continuously are bringing your name before God and giving you that peace. So as I commit to praying for you, my brothers and sisters here in Longmont, I know you'll be praying for me. And I thank you for all that you do and that you continue to do for the people of God here, stateside, and right across the world. Allow me to pray with you. 
Father and our God, we want to thank you for this beautiful opportunity, Father God. We thank you for the time that we have spent in your presence this morning. We thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit, Father, to rest upon your people, Father, like a dove this morning and to bring peace over this congregation, Father. We ask that you continue to guide your people here, Father God. Continue to give them the conviction that is needed to do that which you have called them to do, Father. Help them to continuously be in your presence, seeking after your face, Father God. For those who are still trying to find their giftings and their purpose in you, Father God, we ask that even now that you stir up those giftings in their spirit, Father God. If it's a gift of prayer, Father God, we ask that you continue to stir that up in them, Father, so that they pray, Father. If it's a gift, Father, to leave their homes and to leave their country, Father God, to go there where you have called them, Father God, we, we know that you are still the God in the United States, Father God, and you are the God anywhere that you will send them, Father. We ask that you continue to put protection over them, Father. Guide their children and their children's children, Father God. We ask for a double portion of your blessing over this congregation. Father, as they're seeking to find a new pastor, Father, we ask that you continue to give them wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Guide their footsteps. Guide the thoughts of your people, Father God, because you and you alone will be glorified, honored, and praised. We give you all these praises in your son's name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Carlos. Uh, I, I could truly say that you are a blessing to the church. Uh, thank you for giving your life in service of the Lord and His church. And I pray, I really do think you do an impossible job. And so I pray that God will anoint you and equip you to do that for as long as, as God has you in that role. Um, that God will bless you in that way. Uh, so a couple things as we prepare to receive an offering. A couple quick announcements. Again, I mentioned it's kind of a special service. So we're not done yet. Um, you, you can be done, but I, I implore you not to. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to call the ushers forward. Uh, you can give. A couple things about how you can give quickly. Uh, you can give in the normal way. You can give online. There are envelopes in the backs of the seats. Uh, Brother Carlos asked us the question, what do you have in your hand? Well, take your wallet out or your checkbook, and then you'll know what you can give to the Lord. Just um, somewhat tongue-in-cheek. Um, I do. I encourage you to give generously to support Carlos and what he's doing in his ministry. Um, you can give in that way. So if you want, you can write on a check, Carlos, missionary, something like that. You can put it in an envelope and write the same thing. Um, you, can, uh, you can also, for this offering, any loose cash. I'm going to make that executive decision. If you put loose money in that's not labeled, We'll give that to um, to our missionary speaker, and then we'll trust that it'll all work itself out. So again, just label it in some way. If you have loose cash that you don't want to go to the missionary, if it's part of your local, you know, your normal tithes or offerings, just put it in one of those envelopes and write offering or tithe or something. That way, it goes to the right place. If you want it to go to him, denote Carlos or missionary or something like that. You can give online, and you can denote that as well. You can also scan his card, which I, be, I believe these will be. Probably in the back. And uh, you can use your phone. It's like you're taking a picture. It takes you right to a place. You could give once. You could set up, hey, I can give I can give $5 a month to support Carlos and his ministry. That goes a long way. As a lot of people do that. That's the way you can give as well. As a former uh, official missionary, I can also say you can pray for him. 
um, that really does mean a lot. Uh, those notes of encouragement, you can send those. There's ways to do that as well. Um, but if you just commit to praying for him, he really does, um, he is very, very needed in the role that he does. And it never ends. And I don't know how he does it. And so your prayers for him would be very important. So, again, that's how you can give. Normal tithes and offerings right now as well as giving to our to our missionary speaker. Then, once the ushers are coming forward, I'm going to exit stage right, as well as Gail and Irene. So we'll just have to deal without a song. It'll be okay. Because we have a special treat, unless you just have to play. Um, we have a special treat. We're going to go into the gym for a few minutes of extra service. This is where you can leave, but I encourage you not to. Rather than leaving, you can go into the gym. There are some seats there. Those seats are especially for those who really need to sit down. Please, if you can stand, let those seats go for those who need them. Um, we're going to have a special time of, of uh, getting to baptize Gail and Irene. They're going to share a, little, a few words of testimony with, with you, and then we're going to have a baptism. Um, so what I would like for you to do is to give, stay here. I'm going to ask for Dean when it seems like the offering's over to stand up and dismiss us softly to the gym and then please come to the gym again you can leave but please don't in the gym we'll have our baptism and then we will have a benediction to conclude the service okay clear thank you all ushers if you'll come forward heavenly father thank you so much for men and women like carlos who have and continue to respond to the call to serve you in all the ends of the earth you, um, you've called us all to pastor. We don't often know that. Some, you have called most of us to pastor in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities. Some of us you've called to go and to serve across the world. We call those missionaries, uh, but really that all of these folks together, the, this is what you've called us to. Carlos is somebody who has responded to your call and said, I'm willing to, to give up all that you've blessed me with to go and to serve in a difficult role, in a difficult but, but beautiful, wonderful place. And he trusts you with his life. I pray that you would bless him. Give him those desires of his heart there. Keep him safe. Keep him healthy. Uh, bless his ministry. Help get through some of the red tape and the corruption and the difficulties that he faces. Pave the way for the difficult conversations he has to have. Get people to turn in budgets on time that make sense and help him to just do the work that you've anointed and, and, and appointed him for so that your gospel can continue to spread. And from Africa is where I believe more and more missionaries will start coming. They'll even come to places like Colorado as, as your gospel kind of circle, circles around and around the globe. Help him to help others uh, prepare the way for you in this world. Bless us as we give. We give to worship you. We give to support Carlos. We give to support local missions. We give to pay the bills of the church. We give because you give to us. May you take what's given. May you make it more and be a blessing to all. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.